Let's do a hey girl, hey girl to match it up. Hey girl. Hey girl. Hey girl. <laughs> Welcome to episode six of Obsessed with Disappeared. This is the podcast where we tell the stories of missing people by recapping the episode that covered that case on the ID show Disappeared. That's as few words as I can use to describe it. Are you proud of me? I zoned out midway through, so I have no idea what you said. But I just trust you. Do you know what I mean? Girl, this is the big one. This is the big one. Honestly, I thought about this. Okay, so I was re-watching it this morning, and I was like, I mean, he could probably just do this without me, right? <laughs> I mean, you... Wait, wait. Can you can you pull out your phone for a second, please? Pull out your cell phone? Yeah. Can you tell me what text you sent to me at 10, 11 p.m. last night? Yeah, I said, where is Maura Murray? <laughs> just want to know where she is. I just want to know where she is. Where is she? I just want to know where she is. No, You guys, you'll notice right now, also in the podcast feed, there's an interview that I did with Julie Murray, uh, Maura's sister. She's not featured in this documentary, but she's all over the Oxygen documentary about the Maura Murray case. It's a fascinating interview. We reference a lot of stuff. There was stuff I didn't know. I've never seen this episode of Disappeared. So, like, as we're going through the episode, I'll, I'll be like, oh, I'm not going to say too much because Julie and I talk about this in the interview. Right. So go listen to that. Julie spills the tea. We actually have have a good laugh about some things like it's not a super dark sad interview Julie's amazing I'm obsessed I think that's wonderful and you're such a good interviewer I'm sure that's going to be great so you guys it's episode six it's all about the disappearance of Maura Murray it's called Miles to Nowhere I thought everything was okay Maura Murray is a 21 year old college student it seems like she has everything going for her they were talking of getting married She was on the Dean's list. But the mysterious events surrounding the days before her disappearance puzzle those who know and love her. I don't have the slightest idea what was in her mind. She leaves her dorm room in Massachusetts and drives to the next state. Nobody knows where she's headed. I don't know why she came to New Hampshire. I don't know. I'd be guessing the same with everybody else. When her car veers off this dark and windy highway, she seems to disappear into thin air. is gone. It was like a nightmare. All right. So I just have to say, I just have to say this out loud. Just go with me on this. Okay. First of all, I would follow you into hell, girl. I'll follow you anywhere. Okay. I mean, I empathize with parents. I empathize with her. Please. Fred Murray is the cutest, cutest man, but I'm, he gives an emotional intro to this beautiful, beautiful woman. I get it. But this little gift that keeps on giving that is wrapped in the package of his Boston accent. I mean, like he is a, a grieving I father. I get I it. But Boston accents are my actual favorite and absolute favorite form of expression. Like if it came down to like giving up carbs or having the ability to never do a Boston accent again, I would just, I would say so long pasta. Do you know what I mean? When Mara got to UMass, I'd go up there oh, once a month or so. In fact, the weekend, uh, the last weekend I saw her, I was up in at UMass and we went searching to find a car. Remember the Tolteca? The Tolteca? He I was mean, in the rental car with the OnStar trying to bottom with the Tolteca. 
I mean, wait. So one of my favorite videos, have you ever seen the Seth Meyers video Boston Accent? No. Okay, so really quickly, it's a movie called Boston Accent, and they do a whole section where they're like, I don't know, where should we go? Should we go to Dorchester or Medford? What about Swampskit? How about Marblehead? I can meet you in an hour in Worcester. How about Medford? How about Dorchester? How about Gloucester? How about Taunton? Ah, my cousin Eric's from Taunton. Wicked. So I just had to say that I have to put that out there. I You're love gonna Fred do Mer- it, right? You're gonna do the accent. Patrick, I can't not. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like I can't not. So I know, I, I know, I know. I just wanted to say that it's an emotional case and I love Fred Murray, but like I'm gonna tell you something. Julie Murray gives you her blessing. I said that you had a Boston accent thing. One other thing, I'm not gonna give away a lot of the interview that I did with Julie, but one of the things she said was she wouldn't tell me how old her dad is because he still thinks of himself as a ladies' man. <laughs> He's so cute. Twenty- 21-year-old Maura Murray has juggled a busy college schedule running track and cross-country and working two part-time jobs. Besides studying, she must do work for her nursing degree that requires long drives from campus. All right, so we learned that, like, Maura Murray was super busy at UMass Amherst. She runs track and cross-country. She's got two part-time jobs. My first question of the episode. Who knew there was a difference between track and cross-country? Was that your question? <laughs> My question is, like, sort of a, a, like a subsection of that question. Okay. Who runs cross-country? Doesn't that just mean you just get on the road and you just yeah, go? Yeah, I have that somewhere in my notes because they keep saying she was running. Oh, I know. She right. got a scholarship to West Point running. Who knew yes. that running was, like, lucrative? I know. But also, look, I know I come off as anti-exercise and I'm not. You are. But, like, somebody who just... <laughs> People who just run, I sort of like resent Maura Murray for looking so beautiful and so fit. In every single photo, you look at her and you're like, that girl could run a marathon. She is beautiful. I just didn't know track and cross country the same thing. I just call it running. (laughs) But yes, I mean, she's so beautiful. She's on the Dean's list. She has these sweet cherub cheeks. Yeah. And so here's like, (laughs) look at how like beautiful and smart and talented Maura Murray is. Her car is the opposite of her in car (laughs) form. Yeah. Now. Mara had a car with her in Amherst, but the car was was falling apart. It was really time for her to get a new car. She had a real shitty car, you guys. Like, that's kind of where this whole thing starts. Well, so Fred Murray went up to Amherst to buy her a new car. They had to search for a new car. We went searching to find a car. I mean, right off the bat. Not only is, like, the Boston accent the thing that keeps on giving, but of course they're looking for a a car. I mean, he says it, like, four (laughs) times. I was like, oh, I love you so much. So we go looking. She had a bad car. She needed a new car. So we went cash shopping. So Fred visits her all the time. They're looking for a new car. They don't get one that weekend. But you know what they do do that evening? Do do. They go to dinner, Ellen. Where do they go? At the Amherst Brew Pub. And that night in uh, Amherst, we went to uh, the Amherst Brew Pub and had supper. (laughs) Do you know what they had at the brew pub? What? Supper. (laughs) That's right. I totally have that written out. They had supper. I love uh, that. Who says supper? Oh. 
I just wanted to say I know how much you love the brew pubs of Portland, Maine. <laughs> uh, they're according to you, Portland, Maine is known for them. So I just didn't want you to be offended that they went to a brew pub in Amherst, Massachusetts. Portland, Maine will not end the friendship. I, I just want you to know we are not ending the friendship over my love of Portland, Maine. But the thing is, they also they double down on this fact. Like Fred says, they go to a brew pub, and I've watched this episode now. I've watched it like seven times. They show these cheeseburgers that look so delicious. But Fred really wants us to know that Maura really loved brew pubs. She really loved them. Whenever we went to some place, especially uh, if it's a, a college town or something like that, if we could find a brew pub, um, we would go to it. You know, Fred Murray, who's apparently single, and you can get all of my information on Instagram. Okay, <laughs> he's so handsome. He has no business being that handsome. I love that he doesn't want to share his age. I get you, girl. You're fine. Call me. So we meet Maura's friends from high school, Liz and Kate, and the friends are just here to tell us like how fucking awesome she was. We had a tight group of friends and we stayed close all the way through high school and into college and always stayed in touch. So they have a super tight group, which is really, really sweet. There's seven girls, which I actually think the dynamic of seven friends is a lot. I mean, friends had six yeah. and they all like had sex with each other. <laughs> I like a group of four, but yeah. I digress. Um, they were <laughs> girls that all grew up together. They were very, very sweet and stayed close through college, which I thought was really sweet. Well, and this is like the beginning of that, of everybody laying the foundation of like, you just for the record, the last time we hung out, everything yeah. was fine. She was fine. She she was fine. Everything they was fine. They say that throughout the whole documentary. You're so right. So we're back to Maura and her dad the weekend that he came up. It's after supper <laughs> at the brew pub. And Fred goes back to the hotel and he lets Mara ah! he lets Mara borrow. <laughs> I can't say it. I, I can't say it. I have to consciously say borrow. Because you say I can't borrow. Say that word I know. Right. It's so weird. Borrow. Mora Barrow. That's really hard yeah, for me. Yeah, and I had to look up her name because of their accent. They say Mara. So I was like, wait, but is her name Mora? It, it's it's Mora. Mora, but they're like, so Mara. Yeah. I'm like, wait, is her name Mara? I had to go back and Google it. I had to Google the spelling. So he lets Mora borrow his car. And you guys, if I had to cut it for time, the reason I said it like that is in the outtakes. Go listen to it. Um... <laughs> So I just have it in my notes. She borrows his car and she wrecks it. Sunday morning, uh, Mara woke me up. She uh, she had come back, you know, during the night and uh, told me that she had had an accident in my car. She got in a car accident. (laughs) She veered off the road and hit the guardrails and did actually quite a bit of damage to his new car. He said like $10,000 worth of damage or something. I mean, I remember one time when I was in high school, my mom had a shitty caravan that was probably worth $2,000 and I got like a dent on the side of it and I was afraid to go home. I can't imagine if 10 grand worth of damage to your dad's car while your dad is in town trying to buy you a new car. Girl! I know, I know. So she was obviously devastated. I mean, there is nothing worse than pissing off your parents. I mean, that pit you feel in in the pit of your stomach when you make your parents mad is like, oh, you just, to your point, you don't want to go home. And he says that the one thing that haunts him right. is how <laughs> upset she got at making him so upset yeah. for the car accident. And uh, it haunts me, but, uh, you know, she, I think she felt she uh, 
let her father down. I was going to say, like, they don't get into it, but I think that they had, like, an argument. Of course he's mad, you know? Yeah. Like, Fred, you're allowed to yell at your kid when she causes $10,000 worth of damage to your car, honey. Let yourself off the hook. It's okay. Absolutely. But it does also, in this telling of it, this sort of thing sort of, like, sets off a chain of events because Maura is, like, really, really, really sad that she made her dad mad. So she calls her boyfriend, Billy Roush, at, like, 4.49 in the morning. Like, she's clearly upset about this. And he, like, calms her down. But this is where we meet Billy's mom, Sharon. Hello, Sharon Roush. <laughs> oh, Sharon. I've got some feelings about her. Yes, agreed. Yeah. One of the first things she says was the moment she met Maura, she knew she loved her son. From the moment I met her, I knew that she loved my son, you know. And, of course, that endeared her to me. She says that staring directly at the camera. The moment I met her, I knew she loved my son. Dot, dot, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. And that endeared me to her. <laughs> she said it in a way that was kind of sweet, but also kind of made me terrified. Well, right. I mean, you know, mothers and sons, it's a very, like, Oedipin thing, right? Totally. You know, mothers are very protective of their sons. But it, it was clear that she had a soft spot in her heart for Mora, And the same, because her friends said that Mora really referred to Sharon as kind of like a second mom. Like, spend holidays with her. And this is where we see, like, some home videos of Mora, Which, again, like, if you're in the true crime world and you've been sort of, like, thinking about this case on and off throughout your day. Day for the last 10 years to see actual home videos of her it's crazy like right. to see her like in the world and, and not just like a two-dimensional photograph it's crazy i did think that sharon said another funny thing she said she was soft-spoken but fun-loving to describe mara as a challenge um i i won't i don't want to say she's complex but she was so multifaceted you know she could be serious she could be so funny and witty um she always had this little soft giggle and she was very soft-spoken but she was fun-loving i was like sharon <laughs> you don't have to be a spaz on wheels to be fun like Wait. you don't have to be like patrick and i and you're like not fun if you're quiet i was like she was quiet she's just she can still get down and have a good time, Sharon. Like, back off. Totally. Because Sharon also says, she's like, I don't want to describe her as complex. I'm like, Sharon, be complex is yeah. a good thing. <laughs> like, totally. Sharon. Yeah, you're allowed to have layers. Right. So Mora was an onion. <laughs> Leave her alone. The next day, when Fred Murray sees his daughter, she's still upset about the accident. I drove her back to the dorm. I could see she was still upset. I told her it would be all right. It was going to be covered. It would, it would be okay. You know? So the next day, Fred drives her back to her dom. <laughs> and, oh, I love him. Uh, and she was still really clearly very upset about the car accident. How could you not be? And he said, look, don't worry. We're going to look into the insurance. I'm going to call them back <laughs> for the car. The insurance is going to cover it. But he does instruct her that she has to make an accident report. Right? With yes. like the police yep. department for all that stuff. So obviously he's just tying up loose ends, but she's still really, really bent out of shape. Yeah. And so like, you know, the cop tells us that like later on they're going to look at her computer and they're going to find out like, like starting that night when Fred's like, girl, it's fine. Just get the accident reports. She starts like looking on her computer at like properties in the White Mountains region of New Hampshire. Do we see MapQuest? Remember MapQuest? I literally have in my notes, do you remember MapQuest? <laughs> like we had to look up where we were 
going. And then print it out. At like a barnyard animal I, and like <laughs> read it. I mean, we need to educate the children who did not grow up with GPSs. I know. We had to come prepared for anywhere you might need to go on the way printed you need printer ink you need a printer you need paper it's so many steps but even still i can't get anywhere without the car telling at me like my gps is literally like get into the left lane to go left girl girl get into the left bitch i said get into the left lane like without the gps i am screwed these kids don't know how good they have it we're those people now patrick i know but do you want to know side note guess when the first gps was invented here we go when when was it you're never gonna guess the first gps i would say like 2012 the first gps was invented from the department of defense (gasps) not open to the public it dates back to 1973 oh my god but they weren't um available to the public for like a civilian channel till 2005. Yeah, because like, didn't like the internet exist like in like the 80s or something, but we didn't have access exactly. to it. Exactly. So it's, it's like, just like a bunch of like army generals getting on MapQuest every two minutes in 1984. Yeah, in like 1984, they're like, these kids are going to love Facebook in a couple years. It's a blast. Can you like my last post? It's just the people in the army going back and forth. Okay, so we're back with Sharon Rocha, who is Mara's boyfriend's mom, and she's telling us about cell phone records. We have Mara's cell phone records because her cell phone was uh, an additional line to Billy's cell phone. So, you know, Billy not only gave her a phone for Christmas, he paid the monthly bill. Okay, so how do we feel about that? Do we think he's the best boyfriend ever, or do we think he's a sociopath who's trying to track her every move? So... There's a lot of feelings about Billy Roush out there in the world. Okay. I don't I'm going to stay neutral in this because I don't know how the family feels about him. I didn't ask Julie that question. You guys could go down a rabbit hole of Bill Roush. Okay. So I'm just going to cover what is covered in the documentary. Okay, cuz I thought it was very sweet that he paid the cell phone bill cuz I only need like two things in life, like compliments and stuff. Right. So, <laughs> but then I was like, maybe that's weird. But we learned from Sharon that on Monday, February 9th, at 12.55 p.m., Mora is calling a rental property And Do you want to say it for me? Yes, please. Bartlett. <laughs> she was going to Bartlett. There's no question. She was going to Bartlett, and that's what she knows, she's familiar with. She stayed in every place in Bartlett. Bartlett, New Hampshire. <laughs> she was trying to get a room there. And so I, we're starting to get clues as to like where she was going, what she was doing. Because, spoiler, we have no idea to this day. Ugh. And so like this is where we learn that she spent all of her life growing up, going camping and doing outdoor stuff. She loved going camping. And I have, girl, we are only six episodes in. And again, I'm confronted with hiking. It is like a personal attack to your very brand. I, I understand. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know wilderness scares you. Yeah. I get it. Roughing it to you is like no room service. I should have watched more of these episodes before we decided to make this podcast. (laughs) We could be making the Golden Girls podcast right now instead we're doing this. We just shut it down. Too much hiking. Shut it down. (laughs) (laughs) Done. She loved hiking. Maura's friends know her to be very athletic, excelling at many sports. Mara played just about every sport possible growing up. Mara and I were always on the same teams and we were captains of the cross-country team senior year. But she was always the one leading the pack and winning most of just about all of the races and including doing 
top finishes in the state. And look, this is no shade to Maura. She was born perfect. I can't help that. But we have 15 minutes of her friends being like, she was very athletic. She was the captain of the cross country team. She won every meet. She won every state meet. And I just wrote, I find this triggering and it makes me feel bad about myself. Yes, absolutely. The pictures. I love the visuals, but you're right. Her sister, Julie, by the way, is like so fit. And we were supposed to meet at CrimeCon last year. And somebody said to me, like, just watch out when you shake her hand because she will crush your bones. And I told her that. I'm like, I'm afraid to meet you. I'm like, when I meet you, I'm giving you a hug. I got to keep this hand. So we get this montage. She's fit. She's gorgeous. We find out that around 1 or one thirty, she sent an email to her boyfriend. He did receive an email from her that day um, around 1 or one thirty, And in that email, she told him that she loved him and that she was sorry she hadn't returned his messages from the day before. She hadn't felt like talking to much of anyone. I love what she calls him. Do you remember what she calls him? It says, I love you more, stud. I cringed when I saw that, but I was like, if you guys could see the shit that I wrote when I was in college, like if you could read my emails from college or like my journal that I kept. Which is going to be a separate podcast. It's going to be reading Patrick's journals. Please find us wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you. I love you more, stud. Oh, that poor thing. (laughs) You know, remember, she crashed her dad's car. She's super sad about it. Bill, the boyfriend, is trying to get in touch with her and she's like, The email says, I'm sorry I didn't call you back. I just didn't feel like talking to anybody. But then we also learned that she spent the entire afternoon on the phone trying to like find a condo up in Vermont. Right. With her cell phone records, they track at 2.05 p.m. She calls 1-800-GO-STOW. Mara made another phone call to 1-800-GO-STOW, which is a reservation phone line for hotels in the Stowe, Vermont area. I remember this from when I was a kid. That's like back really before you would make reservations online. Like you'd call these numbers and they like help you find a hotel room in a resort town. Right. It was like Airbnb on the phone. Yeah. So she uh, didn't get through, didn't make any reservations, but I guess listened to all the offerings they had in Stowe, Vermont. Well, we learned that like the hotline was broken in some weird way where you could only listen. You couldn't actually make a reservation. So then she calls Billy, gets his voicemail, And then she sends an email to her nursing professors saying that she needs to be away for a week. There was a death in the family. And every single one of her friends are like, that's not true. That's not true. Not true, girl. That didn't happen, girl. She lied. Not really like her, but if something was going on, she did need to get away, then kind of explains it. Why she didn't call one of us, I don't know. Maybe I had a different reaction to it. I was like, listen, she didn't want people asking her questions. Exactly. If she had a kid, she would have been like, sorry, Daisy has a temperature. If you're listening to this podcast and you're my friend and you've ever gotten that text, Daisy's had a temperature in her life actually one time. Wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) My last three birthdays. Um, Everyone thought that was a red flag. I'm going to be honest. Like, listen, if your grandparent is dead, and you call upon their death again, you're technically not lying. <laughs> your grandmother did die. I mean... And you're sad about it that and day. you're sad about it. I mean, I didn't find it all that crazy. So she did leave that mysterious email. It's not mysterious. She wanted to get out of town. Yeah. The only thing that's mysterious about it is that classes had just started. Right. So like, okay, yeah, it's weird that she's like leaving and it looks like she's going to be gone for a week when classes had like just started. That's weird. Around 
3.30, we assume, Mara got into her car at UMass Amherst and left the campus. So we learned that around 3.30 in the afternoon, she gets in her car and she leaves campus. And her first stop is to an ATM machine where she withdrew $280, which is basically all the money she had. Police held back those photos for like a decade and a half. When the oxygen special came out was when they just released them to the public. I was wondering why they didn't show it because they spoke of it very clearly yep. saying she wasn't with anyone. It didn't look like anyone was with her. And I was like, where's the video? So that's that's funny that you mentioned that. The re- the reason I've heard that they haven't shown it is because they were afraid that people would like be looking at the cars in the background and try to like get license plates and then like harass those people. Like, were you traveling with Maura Murray? Interesting. The crazy people who are interested in the Maura Murray case, and I'm saying most of them are not crazy, but the ones that are crazy are really crazy. Yeah. Oh, okay. I get that. I get that. Also, yeah. I wrote, um, that which depleted her bank account. I wrote, don't poor shame her. Right. <laughs> so what if that's all she has in her bank account? Don't poor shame her. Yeah. Don't get in her business about where she's spending her money. But I also don't know that you're going to be able to find a place to stay in Stowe, Vermont for a week with $280. Sure, yeah. The plot thickens, girl. So then we learn after that she goes to a liquor store? Excuse me, do you want to say she makes the most important stop of her journey? I mean, it might be important, (laughs) but can we just like for a minute talk about her selection? She buys... We can, but guess what? This is a moment glaring red. Julie and I really talk a lot about this in the interview, and and Julie has a very interesting thing to say, so go listen to it, because it it kind of answers some questions. So let's talk about her inventory. At the liquor store, Mara bought a bottle of Kahlua, a bottle of Bailey's, a bottle of vodka, and a box of red wine. Listen, if you're not going to allow her to be poor shamed for the 280, I'm not going to allow her to be booze shamed. No booze shaming on my watch, girl. I'm not booze shaming. I'm just saying the choice of beverages are confusing to me. She buys a huge bottle of Kahlua. Kahlua. Uh She buys a huge bottle of (laughs) Bailey's. Bailey's. Yeah. A huge bottle of vodka. That's fine. Which is also just known as the bottle of vodka. Yeah. (laughs) Just for the record, that's what I call a bottle of vodka. (laughs) And a box of red wine. I know. Do you know what all those ingredients mixed together make? A hangover. A hangover! (laughs) She was shopping for the worst hangover of her life. I was like, all those things make a white Russian, and a white Russian is a drink that you like take a sip of, and you're like, hmm, a white Russian, then you put it down, and you forget about it for the rest of the night. Yes, a million percent. I will say that I told you that like Julie and I laughed a lot in our interview. I gave her a fair amount of shit for the fact that she let that be her sister's go-to cocktail. Not on my watch girl that's not my sister's go-to cocktail did nobody introduce her to just a sensible vodka soda you know like what julie basically said was like did you hear the part where we went to west point and we exercised all the time girl we're not we're not a booze family (laughs) but she did get a box of red wine oh i know that is a recipe for disaster my junior year i will talk about that another day anyway (laughs) no one understands why mara bought such a large quantity of alcohol for um, if she was traveling alone. This journalist, who I'm not a fan of, she says, nobody knows why she bought such a huge amount of alcohol if she was traveling alone. And I went, how very dare you, journalist? I'm sitting right here. (laughs) Mary Beth. How very dare you. Mary Beth really fancies herself somewhat of an investigative. She's like really on the tail of like Barbara Walters. And she's (laughs) Mary of Barbara Walters. I did a quick Facebook search. She is no longer a journalist. She teaches physique classes now. There you go. I was so ready for you to tell me that she had a thriving pampered chef business. (laughs) She teaches physique classes. She's like, actually, I'm not a very good journalist. So I'm just going to go do something else now. It's 4.37 p.m. 
and phone records show Mora checks her voicemail. So Mora checks her voicemail at 4.37 p.m., and that's the last known call from her cell phone. I know. Which is crazy. crazy. I'm assuming the battery died. I mean, maybe she was expecting a call. She didn't get it. She checked her voicemail. Because generally, if you're expecting a call, you check your voicemail, and then you call that person back if they did indeed get back in touch with you. But yeah. the last call was just to her voicemail. So interesting. So now we get this whole thing where the, the announcer's like, Mora's going to go missing in a second, you guys. Hold tight. First, we're going to have a conversation about, like, why did she leave? As to why Mora left, I I don't know. In my position as father, you would think that maybe um, there would have been something said or... But I have no hint. I thought everything was okay. We get Fred the dad, and he's like, truly, girl, I have no idea. Yeah, he. But and then again, he says all these glowing things about her. About she was on the dean's list, which yeah. is hard to get onto. <laughs> it's not only hard to get onto; it's hard to stay there. I mean, she had a bright future. I, <laughs> she her future was so bright she had to wear shades. I made that part up. He didn't say that. She was on the dean's list in a very difficult program. A nursing program. Hard to get in, hard to do well in. But, like, that's the whole thing. And, like, again, this is just, like, laying the groundwork for, like, she had everything to live for. She wasn't going to kill herself. We'll get there in a second. We will get there. We also, like, we're back to how shitty her car is. Like, they really can't <laughs> stop talking about how shitty that car was. What was your first car? I had a shitty first car. I had a Volkswagen Scirocco. They're not even made anymore. Sweetheart, you just, like, turned me on to your lease guy. I just got my first car. No, you had a car when you first lived in Jersey City and you got so many parking tickets. Oh, it was impounded. Right. Remember you yeah. had so many parking tickets when you first moved to Jersey City? You guys, I was like 21 years old and I got so many parking tickets that they booted my car and I was like, oh, I guess I don't have a car anymore. Yeah, and then you just let them take it. I, they took it. I never got it back. And then I lost my license and I was without a license for like five years. And then like when I met Steve like 13 years ago, he was like, girl, we need to get to the bottom of this. Yes, I remember that because I was working in Williamsburg, Virginia, and I was like, well, just drive your car. You're like, about that. I don't <laughs> think I have a car anymore. Yeah, I wasn't not the most responsible like early 20s kid. Okay, so remember, Moore's car is super shitty, you guys. Um, and her boyfriend Billy's mom, Sharon, was really worried about it. I knew she was having car trouble. We had uh, gotten her a AAA membership with the long distance towing because we were concerned about her. I loved this moment both times I watched this episode. Sharon's like, look, her car was really shitty, so we got her a triple A membership with the long-distance towing. I know. (laughs) Sharon! She was like, we were not sparing expense. We got her the long-distance towing. We got her that good long-distance towing, you guys. We loved her. (laughs) So now Fred is driving, and he's retracing more steps from UMass Amherst to Haverhill, where she eventually crashed. When... West on, I would say, what is it, 116 into Route 91, which we're on now. You know, we're with Fred in the car, and he's like, this is where it looks like she took a wrong turn off of the highway, and she ends up in a town called Haverhill, New Hampshire. And at about 7.30, the car veers off the road and, like, hits a tree. Barbara came around the corner, and so the car wasn't running properly. It impacted right down here. There was a big snowbank here. It's so dark here. You, You... if you're looking in this direction, you can't see uh, your hand in front of your face. It was dark, <laughs> and I just can't. I can't. It's I like it's it's I just know. there. It's like the bowl of sweets, and they're just sitting there, and I just can't help myself. This is Mora's second car accident in three days. Excuse me. The narrator tells us this is Mora's second car accident in three days. I went, girl, 
girl. The girl has been missing for almost 20 years. Can you cut her some slack? God. That is just, it's like, oh my goodness. The luck. So she veered off the road into a snowbank. It's dark. Yeah. No, car accidents are totally scary. And this is where we meet, quote, a bus driver. A school bus driver stops to help her. I just asked her how she was. She said she was shaken up. I couldn't see any blood on her face. And she was uh, shaking like this. I says, uh, okay, I'm going to go call the police. I love that you don't know about Butch Atwood, but this is Butch Atwood, the bus driver. He shows up. He pulls up next to her, creepily opens his like bus door with that, that switch you have to pull to open the door, you know? Yeah. And he says to her, like, are you okay? We see like news footage of him. And he's like, she was definitely shaken up. I said I was going to like go home and call the cops. And she's like, no, please don't. I've called triple A. And we get all these talking heads saying, like, we know this to be true now. Even to this day, that section of that road has no cell phone service. There's, like, a mile stretch of that road that has no cell service. So he knows she's lying. (sighs) But, girl, I've got a question for you. What? I've asked it once. I've asked it twice. I've asked it 35 fucking thousand times. What? What on God's green earth is this bus driver out tooling around in his bus at 730 at night? Aren't all the kids home by, like, 4? So the only thing I can think of is he was driving like a sports team to or from a sporting event. So sports are... What's a sporting are, event? Yeah. yeah okay. So sports... <laughs> You're going to have to really slow this yeah, down, girl. I saw where that was going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so in sports, like with the, with uh-huh. the balls... Okay. No, yeah. Oh, you got my attention. Ball, okay. Balls meaning the orange <laughs> thing we bounce with our hand. Okay. You know what? So... <laughs> But, like, the only anyway. thing I could think of is that, like, he was picking up the kids at the high school, bringing them to, like, an away game. And uh-huh. none of this was covered in the documentary. This is totally me speculating. Yeah. But that was my first thought is, why is this creepy? And he is creepy with the handlebar mustache. Don't get me started. He's creepy, and he's no longer with us. And people definitely have a lot of questions for Butch Atwood. Around 10 minutes later, at 7.45 p.m., police arrive at the accident scene, looking for any trace of the driver. The police officer at the scene noticed that the windshield was broken in front of where the driver would be seated. The airbags had gone off. There was damage to the front end of the vehicle. So we learn here that the cops show up 10 minutes later and she is gone. And, you know, in in subsequent research and other documentaries, we learned that, like, there was a lot of people that had eyes on her. And, like, there was maybe a 45-second window where nobody was looking at her. And that's when she must have left. But we don't know where. And all these crazy things that we learned, the airbags had gone off. The windshield was broken in front of the driver's seat, meaning that she hit her head on the window. So she was going pretty fast when she hit that tree. When the cops get there, you know, they see that they, they see the box of wine in the back seat. They see there's like pinkish stuff in the snow and they eventually find a Coke bottle under the car that they say smells like alcohol. The Murrays and a lot of people have a lot of problems with the way the cops handled this. So I'm just saying like that's what we're told in this documentary. I spoke with the one witness that actually talked to Mara Murray that night at the accident scene. That witness says that Mara appeared a bit shook up, but she did not appear intoxicated. There didn't appear to be any evidence at the scene which would indicate anything other than she had left the scene under her own power. There wasn't any evidence of a struggle of any kind. The vehicle was locked. To me, 
the locked car doors, it just seems like a reflex. Like, if you're so used to getting out of your car and just locking it, like, that's what you would just normally do. But it isn't something that you would do if you were in any kind of distress. Exactly. Is that fair to say? Sure. Yeah. And so the cop says to us, like, it did, there was no sign of a struggle. It just seemed like this was a situation where the driver of the car did not want to encounter the police that night. You know, was she maybe drinking? We don't know. Did she, like, have a sip of wine or something and, like, maybe her breath would have smelled like alcohol and she didn't want to get in trouble from the cops. The cops at this point in the investigation in the documentary are saying it seems innocent enough. The next day, police speak on the phone with Mora's family. As a result of those conversations, they then became concerned that um, Mara might be depressed. Her father described it, that she, she was depressed and having crashed his car on Saturday night. So then, like, the next day, the cops call the family. And again, Julie and I talk about this at nauseum in the interview, where she says that, like, the cops did not react quickly enough. Listen to the interview, because Julie's got a lot to say about this. But basically, Fred was like, I wanted to get up there immediately. The way I felt was just, the the world just stopped. Your daughter's missing. She's in an accident. She's in the woods, way up, and not in, in New Hampshire. The police don't seem to know where she is. I... I, I I couldn't. I wanted to get up here immediately. Do you know what my favorite line that he said was? What? My world stopped. <laughs> oh, it's I just... know. And like, you know, I've got a daughter. You've got a daughter. I mean, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine this. Yes. And we do find the comedy in this, but I don't think I will ever go through an episode bringing that back to my life. Like if yeah, this were yes. to happen to me. Yeah. Yeah. His world stopped. And how, how could yeah. it not? And so, you know, Billy, the boyfriend, he is stationed at Fort Sill in Oklahoma. So he is like trying to get there as fast as he can too. And we learn, and I didn't know this. So we learn that like when he's going through security, his phone rings and he can't take it, but he gets a voicemail. The message basically, uh, in and of itself, was just uh, a woman breathing and then possibly a whimper or some sort of noise at the end, which we believe to be her. I didn't know about this, and I, you guys, this is another thing I talked to Julie a lot about in the interview, so go listen to it. So they call this number back, Ugh. right? And they find out that it was made from a prepaid calling card, and they know that Mora uses prepaid calling cards, and guess what, you guys? Sharon wants us to know that when Mora was up for Thanksgiving, in fact, she gave her two. She gave her two. Do you remember having to use calling cards? Of and course. And you, like, dial the number, and you put in the password, and it's like yeah. lowercase f ampersand ampersand for question mark uppercase d ampersand but it went back to a prepaid calling card my stomach dropped when i heard that i know you guys there's more information about this call like concrete information in the interview so go check it out so then like you know the cops and again the marie's take real solid issue with the way the cops handled this so i'm just telling you what's in the episode the cops are telling us that the next morning they got the go ahead to like use the airplane to like look over the woods we got the State police helicopter um, up there the first thing the next morning to do a search from the air. I also had our bloodhound. And then the cop says, we also got the bloodhound, to which I said, the bloodhound? You couldn't spring for a second bloodhound, New Hampshire? Jesus. It's a small town. They got one bloodhound. They needed him in Swampskit, and then he had to come over. 
and take care of the Mara Murray. In Haverhill. Another fact that I thought was interesting was they said to find her scent, they gave her a glove. Yeah. And again, Fred's face when he said, he's like, I mean, she just got that glove for Christmas. Yeah. Maybe it didn't have enough of her scent on it. You know, he. you just see that, you know, the coulda, shoulda, wouldas. Maybe they should have given her another item. He was just like, I don't even know if she wore that glove. The dog was given a glove, but it was it was a brand new glove that Mara had just gotten for Christmas. But if they had asked me, I'd have given them something that she used all the time, like running gear or something like that. It, this is like another example of Fred kindly talking about the way the police kind of bungled this case. But the bloodhound traces her scent from the scene of the crash about 100 yards up the road where he loses the scent. And this has never changed. Like, this is where everyone just kind of assumes that either somebody grabbed her and threw her into her car or she willingly got into a car. And again, there were so many eyes on her from the, the various neighbors that nobody saw what happened that it's just kind of crazy it seems to me that it would have to have been something really quick it was cold out it was dark out a car pulled up and was like you need a ride and she said yeah and she got in obviously like that probably didn't end well but I think that's the most likely scenario of like what happened in that moment so then we get the parent plead as long as I'm here I want to use every minute as long as as long as it's still daylight I want to be out there driving east all the way to Maine Heading up north, close to the Canadian border. I'm getting more fearful by the hour. The parent plea always breaks my heart, no matter what. Yeah. I don't actually know the point of a plea. I guess it's to, if they're out there watching it, to know that they're loved and to come back, a la Michelle Whitaker. Yeah. Or is it to humanize the story to somebody who might have done something wrong? Yeah, and like further to the point of like she probably wasn't going to kill herself, her belongings were released uh, like at the end of that week to Billy, to which I was like, why are they released to Billy and not the dad? It's not like they're married. Yeah. Anyway, Billy gets her stuff and we see like she had her running clothes and she had her school books and her homework and her syllabus for the semester. Uh, So it shows every intent on doing her schoolwork while she was away. She had every intent on maintaining her, you know, her exercise regimen. And do you know what book they found in her car? (laughs) What'd they find? They found a book called Not Without Peril. Yeah, and it's like this weird book where it's about all of these hikers who, like, went hiking and then never came back. And Fred tells us, look, some people froze to death up there, but mostly it's uplifting. Yeah! (laughs) Fred! When you read the book, it mentions all these different trails and all, all the different adventures, some ending happily, some... Some ending in in death. You know, people have frozen to death up there. For the most part, it's uplifting. Yeah, sure, some people froze, but it's mostly uplifting. Anyway, sometimes I find, and I get it, they're like trying to go on any shred of evidence, but I was like, it was a book. She read it. I don't think it was a Chris McCandles story. I don't think she was going to go, you know, meet her fate in the woods. No, and if she was, she would have taken the book with her. Yeah. It was a handbook, clearly. The uplifting handbook of hiking in the woods. Hiking. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to say the H word. I I apologize. You just bring it up again. I apologize. But you know what? Can we just for five seconds take it out of your lady voice? I don't don't know how. I've just learned how to belt mix like that. So Okay, great. Great. (laughs) Devastated and exhausted, Maura's loved ones return home. I, I personally search any place that would have, it would be significant to her. 
that would be meaningful that we went to a lot. So yeah, and then it's like we learned that like after weeks of searching, the family like returns home, and it's I can't imagine anything more devastating than the day that you have to be like, well, I'll never stop looking, but like I have to go back to work. Yeah, what else is there? And like this is just the beginning of us seeing Fred hiking every trail in New Hampshire, looking Ugh. always, always looking, and this is just the beginning. And Sharon says to us like, God bless Fred. He goes up there week after week after week and he keeps searching the sides of the roads he keeps searching the woods what parent wouldn't do that at that point what else is there to do exactly even if you know nothing is going to come of it you at least somewhere deep in your soul know that you're trying to do something because like sitting on your couch and watching tv like you're not doing something you're not being right. proactive right. you know yes, I exactly I totally get it and then they decide I guess a couple of months later to just do some detective work on their own between Sharon and Fred it wasn't until Fred and I decided in the fall of 2004 that we were going to go back to square one and check some things out that I called um, these phone numbers. So Mara went missing in February. This happens in September. Right. So like, I can't count that high, but like, that's a lot of months difference. They basically like, remember how Sharon has the phone records because everybody was watching Mora's every move apparently. Right. Sharon just like starts calling the last numbers that Mora calls and she ends up getting this woman, Linda Salamone, who's a condo owner. In Batlet. I picked up the phone and it was Sharon. She had said that she obtained Mara's cell phone records and that I was one of um, the last people to speak with her and that she had gone missing. So this woman, Linda, owns a condo that Mora and Fred and Billy had all stayed at once. And so Mora, remember, she was like on the internet looking for condos and calling Ghosto hotline or whatever. So she actually called this woman back in February, the day that she went missing, to inquire about the condo. And we learn that the phone call, we can see it on the phone records. The phone call was three minutes. That's a healthy conversation to have with a stranger. Right. I mean, I'm sure it was just, hey, I'm looking for a place, these dates, do you have it? Let me check. Let me look at my book. Because then Linda says she just doesn't remember the phone call. I felt like I might have been able to help at that time if I had just received a phone call. I could have said, yes, she sounded distressed or... No, she was okay, and this is where she was heading, or whatever. And she's pissed. Like, she's saying, she's, like, looking at the camera, and she's like, I could have been helpful. Because for all we know, Maura said something like, oh, my boyfriend and I are coming up for a couple of days, or me and a friend from school are looking for a place to stay for a vacation. For Like, she could have had pertinent, helpful information. Absolutely. She's so mad looking at the camera now, saying, like, that was, like, nine months later, or whatever it was. And I don't remember it, but, like, if the police had just done the simple thing that Maura as boyfriend's mom just did, I could have maybe given them useful information. Like, as far as we know, this is the last person to speak to Maura Murray. Yeah, and she is visibly very much like, I could have done something here. Can we get her into hypnosis? <laughs> Can we get her into hypnosis, please? So then we learn, and this is where Fred is me. <laughs> so then we learn, this is just a little side note, Fred files a lawsuit against the state of New Hampshire because he's like, hey, guess what? You guys are effing this up. I want the documents. I want the records. I want to take hold of this. Yeah. We're doing more than you guys are. To which I'm like, yeah, Fred, you are. Yeah. And so he's like, guess what I'm going to do? I don't have anything else to do. I'm going to sue you. My only relief would be the FBI coming in or getting the, uh, the release of the case records myself. And uh, neither one's going to happen because the state, the, the, the court system, 
backs up the state police. But he lost. They said that he couldn't interfere with the proceedings, and I get that. Yeah. But all he wanted was more information, more leads. He was just like, we will do this, and he just couldn't get it. Julie has something really interesting to say about this as well. And listen to the interview with Julie, because I asked her directly about this, and like she has another thing that made my, my brain just go like, oh, of course. But this is where we get another story from the Moore Murray case that I didn't know. I had not heard this. That reporter that we don't like, Meredith or Marilyn or whatever the hell her name is. Mary Beth. The one that does Pilates classes now. Yeah. <laughs> she she gave up her investigative reporting career. To- Wait. <laughs> <laughs> she tells us that she spoke to a witness who saw a person who this witness is convinced was Maura Murray in a Cumberland farm. Like we see it, uh, the exterior shot of a Cumberland Farms. It's a convenience store. She saw a young woman with an older man, a man probably in his 60s. The young woman had her arms folded in front of her and seemed to be mouthing the words, help me. I would never sleep again. You know what you would have done? You would have helped her. Uh, yeah. I was yeah. screaming. This woman is mouthing the words help. And you're just like, I'm not, I'm not, the math. I, like, I Two hear words, first word, <laughs> start, rhymes with, is that rhymes with? Like, no, bitch. I am like, throwing down. And if someone mouths help me. Oh, my God. You're in a Cumberland Farms. You turn over the rack of the Cheetos. You just start screaming your fucking head off. Yeah. You don't let this woman get into the car. And then not only does she not help her, she has no useful information. She, like, doesn't have a license plate. Yeah. A description of the car. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Thanks, Mary Beth. Thanks for that emotional <laughs> roller coaster you just took us on. You know, and, like, we get, like, all the different theories. And, like, did she run off with somebody? And Sharon, Billy's mom, was like, we hope she did. You know, when Mara went missing, there were many things that were that were said, you know. One of the things was that, well, you know, Mara has run off with another boyfriend. And uh, Billy, you know, was confronted with this, and he said, I hope she has. You know, if she is with another um, young man, then she is safe. And they say that in her last email to her girlfriends, she was talking about going to a Dane Cook concert at UMass that was sold out. Yeah. Which, you know, I guess questions her taste, taste in, in comedy. comedy. <laughs> but I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. Dane Cook in the early aughts was awesome. A but, thing, you know, I know. I guess we canceled him because he was like committing theft of jokes or something. Oh. I don't know. But you know what? I guess I could say the same thing of you because every Everything funny that's come out of your mouth in the past 10 years is something that I've said. So we could really pull at that thread if we wanted to. Um, Wow. But they're just saying that the email seemed uplifting, fun, and nothing out of the ordinary. And it just, it ends with Fred, like, on the side of the road, about to, like, walk into the woods and continue his search. And he's like, I come up here all the time. I'm going to continue coming up here all the time. I'm going to follow every lead that a local gives me. And then he says this thing where he says, I'm trying to do everything I can do. Uh, my conscience wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be able to stand myself if I didn't I wouldn't be able to look at a picture of Mara if I knew if I knew that I wasn't doing everything I could possibly do you know, <laughs> you know and it's just whatever time I have uh, left that's, that's what I'm going to do with it. Uh, uh, I get chills thinking about it but you know there are other cases and you can't really quantify pain and you can't compare how somebody reacts to something but I really felt his struggle more than some of the other episodes yeah. and you know you never forget you never just settle for it but I really felt like with every breath he takes he never stops thinking about his daughter <laughs> 
to episode six. Oh my, I can't, the Maura Murray one came up fast, girl. Yeah, that came up fast, and I am sweating, and it's not even summertime no. yet. I can't, I can't. The emotion. Welcome to my life. This has been my life for 10 years. You guys, go listen to my interview with Julie Murray. It's up in the regular feed right now. It's fascinating. She's amazing. I want to tell you about her website. It's mauramurraymissing.org, and she is so passionate about it. It's made by the family. She always says that, like, there's so many different, like, rabbit holes you can go down in this case. They've compiled all of the accurate information on this website. So if you want to go down the Maura Murray rabbit hole, go to mauramurraymissing.org and do it there because they won't lead you down any wrong roads. There's also pictures of Maura that have never been seen. They're updating that stuff all the time. You can support their GoFundMe, which they use to do testing. They use to continue the searching, and it's really the, this amazing thing. I'm obsessed with it. Girl, what do you got? I just want to tell you guys to come join our Facebook discussion group. You can find us on Facebook by searching Obsessed with Disappeared Podcast Discussion Group. You nailed it, girl. I mean, come and join us there. <laughs> and also, don't forget, every Friday after an episode drops, Patrick and I will be going live to talk about the episode, to talk about making the episode, talk about our life, talk about quarantine, answer your questions. So we do that every Friday at 6 p.m. on our Instagram page, which is The Disappeared Pod. And what do we call it? We call it Friday Night Live. And that is (laughs) Eastern time, guys. So be sure you do your math right so you don't miss it. So it's 6 p.m. Eastern live on Instagram. All right, we love you guys. I love you. Bye. Talk to you soon. Do you know, fun fact, not a fun fact at all. (laughs) Interesting fact. Maura Murray <laughs> Maura Murray went missing the week that Facebook launched. Oh my gosh, that is so interesting. Isn't that, that is crazy? I know. Like, the amount of times you think of, like, a little white lie, and, like, I always say, like, if your grandparents are dead, you can call upon their death as a favor. Like, my, gran- right. my grandmother died. Well, she did. Listen, give Maura the week she needs a way to clear her head. Anyway. This girl's been running track for 15 hours a day since she was seven years old. She needs a break. <laughs> She just doesn't want to run anymore. Exactly. Her calves hurt. Mine too, girl. My calves hurt for you. Have you ever gotten in a car accident? It's so scary. And you think you can never drive again. Oh, I got rear-ended at like 50 miles an hour. And I'm not talking about that club in my 20s. Okay. All right. Um, I also have in my notes. Um, oh, never mind. That's fine. What? I wrote Fred. This is what I literally wrote. I wrote on Fred driving all night to get to his daughter. Yeah. I wrote, don't make me sing. (laughs) I drove all night to get to you. Okay, don't make me sing. Okay, cut it. We know you're friends with Cindy Lauper. We know, we know. Uh, Yeah, I get it. Listen, I am Fred. I would have been like, I'm suing you. I'm suing you. And I don't like your hat. I'm suing you too. I don't have anything else to do but find my freaking daughter. 